Oh, real quick. Yes. Have I sh- have I ever showed you the um you know some people have like camera covers for their laptops and stuff? Mm-hmm. I've got one for my work laptop because it's constantly in my room yeah. and it makes me really paranoid. Um it's really paranoid that work is watching. Yes. It's this. I love it. I just sit it over my camera like that. It's so cute. The thing is, you want to hear something funny about this? Sure. I've had these for years. I've got multiple. I have a bigger one, smaller one, and an even smaller one that I was using, but I can't find it. Um, Which is why I just moved to the next size up. And the thing is, I made these for, I'm pretty sure, your birthday one year. Probably. That would Where make I was sense. going to, yeah, I made them for your birthday, and I was going to make this, like, weird little chandelier thing, but it didn't end up working out, so I think I got you something else. Probably. But, so I just kept them, and I spray-painted them with this, like, um, metallic I was gonna say, I stuff. like the color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was gonna be really cool. I just eh, didn't work out. Next time, when you want your own origami chandelier in the house. Yeah, that was the idea. Yeah. So let's get this show on the road. Yes. Um, hey, I'm Rachel. That is Grace. I'm Grace. That's Rachel. Welcome, Welcome to, the to podcast. our podcast. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> <laughs> I like how we do the exact same arm motions too. That was great. Uh, okay. Oh, we are myths and misfortunes. We're a paranormal and true crime podcast. And each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. And or surrounding areas. Are you a surrounding area? Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. By about 30 minutes. I'm all over the country. That's fine. Wonderful. Yeah. No, we tend to have this surrounding area thing down with any city that we pick. Yeah. So. I I feel like we should try better next time. We definitely should. But mine showed up when I typed in Boston Cryptid. By the way, guys, we are in Boston, Massachusetts this week. Yay! Yay! Alrighty, so my sources are history.com, Wikipedia, bostonus.com, localhistory.org, and britannica.com. There. Boston, Massachusetts is a very important part of American history. As hopefully most Americans would know. What's Boston? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Grace. (laughs) But before it was America... It's it's lettuce. It's it's lettuce. lettuce. Yes, it is lettuce. This is true. It's a very crisp lettuce. Nice. Crisp. Boston and the surrounding region was inhabited by the Native American tribe called the Pennant... Peninsula Shamut. Okay. Sure. 
And this is the only information that I could find pre-colonial era. Oh. And I wish that was there was more because... Yeah, I'm really surprised with um, yeah. New England places. You can't find A whole lot much. about pre-colonial, yeah. Yeah. So... If you've seen Disney, Pocahontas, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know that in 1614, Captain John Smith explored the coastline of what was soon to be called New England. Not necessarily Boston, but, you know, it's in the area. Um, Unfortunately, his initial arrival devastated the local natives with smallpox. Mm -hmm. More than half lost their lives to it. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. In 1620, English Puritans set sail for for the Americas in order to escape religious persecution. They landed just south of Massachusetts Bay and founded the Plymouth Colony. But the very first English settler in the Shawmut Peninsula... I keep wanting to say Peninsula. Peninsula? I keep wanting to say Peninsula. <laughs> oh, wow, Rachel. I don't know why. Venezuela. Venezuela. Okay. Um, okay. But the very first English settler in the Shawmut Peninsula was William Blackston in 1625. He decided to live there alone after most of his fellow travelers in the Ferdinando Gorgeous expedition returned to England. Or okay. Gorgas. My bad. Gorgas. 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 I thought it'd be gorgeous. I wish. Well, when I first saw the name and I saw Ferdinando, I was like, Georges? Going with that JG, but no. Georges? Yeah. Horius? Yeah. In 1629, the Cambridge Agreement was signed in England and established a self-governing colony known as the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So, it's right here that they decided that they were going to settle the new world. John Winthrop led the colony to what is now Salem in June of 1630. However, due to lack of food, they quickly abandoned that settlement in favor for what is now Charlestown, which is right across the river from the Shawmut Peninsula. Oh, the lack of fresh water in Charleston, Charlestown, Charleston. Charleston. I would say Charleston. Yeah. yeah, Charleston. Also had them looking for a new settlement. At this point, obviously, William Blackston saw the Puritans across the river. River. It's hard not to when you're setting up camp. Yeah. Being the hospitable person that he was, he invited the Puritans to move into to move to the peninsula with him, informing them that it had an excellent spring on the north side of what is now Beacon Hill. Sorry, um, did you say the guy who brought smallpox was? That was John Smith. Sorry, got confused. That was Pocahontas John Smith, yeah. Alright, who did you say? You said Blackwell? Black what? Blackston. Blackston. William Braxton, who was the... Not even the same name. I don't even know (laughs) why, in my mind, it was like, yeah, that's that dude. Okay, fuck. Ignore me. Well, William Blackston is also, like, (sighs) 
an abnormal name compared to something like John Smith. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sure is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just going to that- not ask any more questions about that and pretend I know what you're talking about. You know if exactly I don't. what I'm talking about. Yep. Okay. So, the Puritans gladly accepted his offer and acquired the land near Beacon Hill from Blackston and the Chickataba tribe. Which, oh, yes, I've heard of them. Yes. <laughs> um, which, it actually does seem like the tribe deeded the land to the Puritans, because I did follow that oh. link on Wikipedia. So they wow. did. Yeah, they deeded the land to him to him to them shocking yeah so good start um whoop. good, good start. start bad it ending yeah it doesn't <laughs> stay good <laughs> uh, not, not a lot no. does nope 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 this whole area eventually becomes boston commons oh that's in my story oh so winthrop i don't know if you remember him from like two paragraphs before the leader of the puritan <laughs> leader of the puritans then announced the foundation of the town of boston on september 7th 1630 just think we're still in 1630 we've got like a thousand years to go <laughs> wow that's okay yeah naming the town after boston in the english county of lincolnshire oh i actually did not know that I kind of assumed it. I don't... I thought it was somebody's last name or something. Which does happen all the time, yeah. The first school, Boston Latin School, and first college, Harvard, in America, were founded within five years of Boston settlement. So, 1635-1636. Wow. The ironic part about this Puritan settlement is that despite being run out of England for their religious beliefs, they had very little tolerance for other religious beliefs within their colony. They were banishing prominent clergymen and leaders, imprisoning and whipping ministers, even closing the first Boston Baptist meeting house. You would think that running from religious persecution, persecution, Persecutors. That word, yes, would cause the Puritans to be more tolerant, but apparently not. Now we're going to hit a little close to home Home on this part. Six smallpox outbreaks took place between 1636 and 1698, and between 1721 and 1722, a major smallpox epidemic occurred. Out of a population of 10,500 in Boston, 5,889 caught the disease, and 844 died. 14% of their population died. And for the most part, yeah. And for the most part, they contained the spread of the disease by isolating themselves from the other colonies. Wow. Go figure. However, at least 900 fled from the city spreading the virus. Uh, yep. Sound familiar? So, on to the things we learned in school. Yes. Boston took a very strong role in the protests against taxation. 
especially the Stamp Act of 1765. Boston merchants avoided the customs duties by smuggling in and out product. Governor Thomas Ponal Ponal, tried to keep the peace and make both the people and London officials happy. However, when Francis Bernard took office in 1760, he decided that he wanted to get rid of all opposition within Boston. Of course. He heavily implied in letters to the crown that troops were needed in order to maintain colony obedience. Of course, same time, the 1760s, Americans were heavily focused on the principle, no taxation without representation. Yeah. Which, again, as hopefully most Americans know, this sparked the American Revolution. British troops arrived in October of 1768, causing major tension within the colonies. On March 5th, 1770, British soldiers fired into unarmed demonstrators outside of the British Custom House. This resulted in five civilian deaths and escalated the tensions between American colonists and the British. Yeah. This later came to be known as the Boston Massacre. Yep. Which, honestly, as a kid, when we learned this, when I Did heard, not, yeah. When I heard Boston Massacre, I was like, oh my god, so many people died. I mean, five is still a lot, but... Yeah, it's an... Yeah. <laughs> as a kid, I was thinking, like, hundreds, not... Yeah, five. But I think that it in school it also downplayed like it downplayed the actual, a lot. Yeah, like the severity, like what it meant. Mm-hmm. Like everything that went into that. Oh, I mean, obviously, yeah. for a lot of reasons, they couldn't go into it. Or, but I feel like like they should have. They should have, but again, that's coming back into the separation of church and state. Exactly. Plus, like we're in Kentucky, so. Obviously, that line between church and state not as divided as it needs to be. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, During this time is also when the British Parliament decided that it was a good idea to keep taxing Americans. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. on everything. They put a tax on tea, which was a major staple because, you know, Coffee really wasn't a thing yet. Yep. But keeping with the no taxation without representation thing, Americans were pissed. They tried to prevent merchants from selling tea. However, a very large shipment arrived within Boston Harbor. Oh, no. You know where this is going. Yeah. I don't. What's going to (laughs) happen? On December 16th, 1773, a fairly large group of protesters, known as the Sons of Liberty, disguised themselves as Native Americans and... That's dumped- sexist. And racist. What the fuck? <laughs> it is very, yes. Yes, it is. I was thinking it the entire time I was writing it. Like, this is horrible. Why did they do this? But I, I know why they did it. Because yeah. we learned it in school. Yeah, I just... Uh, yeah. <sighs> yeah. But, okay, they dumped 342 chests of tea into the harbor. This, of course, became known as the Boston Tea Party. And, you know, speaking of Boston Tea Party, most of that tea, one, was green tea. Mm -mm. Not black tea, as we all so commonly think. 
Um, two, it came in bricks. Yeah. It came in bricks. It wasn't little tea bags. It came in bricks that you like shaved off. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. We have. Yeah. And it's just so much tea. That's That's so much tea. I wish, I wish that I had one of those. And I know back then that they were just done like that. So, so it would be more widely available to people because they didn't have the same processes that we do now. I just... Like, That's so much look, tea. I don't one know. Of, one of those little blocks of tea was supposed to last a family a year. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how many of those little blocks fit into a chest? Yeah. And 342 of those chests were tossed into the harbor. That, oof. Granted, those poor fish now have caffeine poisoning, but... Well, <laughs> I mean... Okay, rant... Over. I'm sure a lot of other bad things have happened uh, out there. So, oh, some yeah. things that are worse than um, tea. I I made a silly little pun saying that the Boston Tea Party is a rather misleading name, but you know, hey, I'm sure they were partying af- partying afterwards. <laughs> Very. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Very lame little pun. Oh yes. god. Um. Okay, this little act of defiance was in response to the new tea tax, and I'm sure that they felt this would send a sign to England that America wasn't have any of it. However, British government did the exact opposite of what the Americans were hoping for and passed new, harsher laws, closed the port of Boston, and stripped Massachusetts from its own self-government wrong move britain the other colonies rallied behind boston creating the first continental congress where they armed and trained their own militia units as minutemen mm-hmm. i don't know why i love that minutemen as a kid it was my favorite thing after <laughs> I'm, that's, I'm such a a, kid. that's such a weird thing to hyper focus on, but that's I know. such a kid thing to do. <laughs> Minute Min. <laughs> Wasn't there a movie called that? I think so. But also I was really oh shoot, what was that Wasn't one that show? Wasn't that the called? movie with that blonde kid? Hold Which on. blonde kid? There's a lot of blonde kids. Yes! Okay. Yeah. This is exactly what I was talking about. Okay, hold on. That movie. <gasps> yes! Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. God, I love that movie. I love that kid, too. What was his name? That's so weird that as soon as I saw that, I just automatically... Uh, are you talking about... The blonde one. Jason Dolly. Jason Dolly. That's what it was. Yeah, it's uh, three high school kids invent a time machine intended to save fellow students from embarrassing situations. Unfortunately... <laughs> This movie was so bad. <laughs> Unfortunately, they discover that turning back the clock can have its consequences. Now the oh, feds really? are after them, and there's the slight problem of a black hole to deal with. Oh, I don't remember the black hole part. <laughs> back on topic, yet again. By the way, how we... much more history do you have? Because I feel like this is a very long history. One more. Look, Boston is a center in American history. I know, but so... did, you, did you hear how short Paris was? Um... Yeah, I really couldn't narrow it down any more than I did. All right. Because I felt like it was key parts. To be fair, I did cut out a lot um, based on what I could and could not pronounce. So True, and I can pronounce a lot of this. Okay. 
Except for Peninsula. <laughs> Peninsula! <laughs> okay. England sent even more troops to Boston, naming the Commander General Thomas Gage the new governor. Gage sort of kind of caught on to the fact that something was going on. Did he, did they even tell him what was going on? Well, that something was going on within the rest of, like, like the Minutemen. Yeah, yeah. Like, he didn't know that was going on, because obviously he's on England's side. Mm-hmm. But he sort of kind of caught on. Yeah. So, believing that the Patriots were hiding munitions in Concord, he sent troops to capture them. This, you may remember with the story of Paul Revere and his midnight ride. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know or didn't remember, because honestly, we probably were taught this, there were three men who rode to warn the Minutemen. What? No, yeah, go. Okay, that the British were coming. Paul Revere, William Dawes, and Dr. Samuel Prescott. This resulted in the Battle of Lexington and Concord in April of 1775. There was also a female version of Paul uh, Paul Revere, Revere up in New York. Just FYI. I just wanted to throw oh, cool. that out there. Okay. Yep. Colonies all across New England rallied their troops in support of Boston, and Congress sent General George Washington to lead them all. Oh my god. Oh my god. And honestly, I wish Americans could all to get, could all get together like this again. But unfortunately, it takes having one common evil to get people to work together. You know, weirdly enough, we have that right now and it still doesn't matter. Right? Okay, we're not gonna get into that. Anyway, several battles were fought and victory came to the Americans on March 17th, 1776. Boston takes great pride in its part with the revolution, a positive that I feel we don't see so early on in a lot of cities. Massachusetts. I knew it would happen at least once. I thought it would be me. I really thought it would be me. Uh, okay. Massachusetts abolished slavery in 1783. Yeah, which is, yeah. Very early. It yes. wasn't abolished nationwide until like 1860-something. Um, Let's fact check that real quick. I did, because I, I was almost going to say 100 years before, but then I was like, eh, that's not 100 years. 1865. See. In 1822, Boston officially became a city and was no longer just a small little colony town. After all of the pain and death from the war, during the 19th century, Boston saw a huge population boom. This is in part to the large number of Irish immigrants who seeked refuge from the potato famine in 1846. The oldest free library in America... The Boston Public Library was founded in 1852. MIT was founded in 1861. The Boston Symphony Orchestra was founded in 1881. And the American Subway, the T, opened in 1897. So It's so weird because thinking about how we were born in 1994, yeah. it feels like we were alive for more than 1900s than we were 
Right. So it feels like that wasn't too far away. Yeah. And and like logically in the grand scheme of things, that still is not that that long ago. But but it's more than a lifetime for us. Yes. So for like some some sharks and jellyfish and <clears throat> tortoises, that's nothing. Oh yeah. To be a shark or a jellyfish or a tortoise. Oh, to be a shark <laughs> or a jellyfish or a tortoise. That's the title. <laughs> we are not even to the stories yet. <laughs> Alrighty, so, okay, we're going to backtrack just slightly. On November 9th, 1872, a fire began in a dry goods store in Boston, and it quickly spread destroying 776 buildings, killing 33 people, and doing millions of dollars worth of damage. This was the Great Boston Fire. In the early 20th century, Boston continued to develop, that is, until the mid-1900s, when its economy began to decline. Many people began to move away from the city center at this time, but towards the end of that century, thanks to finance, high-tech industries, and tourism, Boston began to revive a little. And that brings us to current day. There are many historical places you can visit in and around Boston. And I highly recommend it because, let's be honest, we are not taught everything in school. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of worth it. You can visit the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston Common, which you said you're going to talk about briefly. <laughs> it never it's like it's a, a slight footnote. mention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, they're on. Like, that's yeah. it. Fenway Park, if you are into sports, I'm not, but I'm sure some people are. The New England Aquarium, Museum of Science, Boston Public Garden, or Boston <gasps> Harbor. So there is a ton to do there. And that is history. Cool. What is your story that is nine pages long and took all day? Okay, so my story is one that I've heard on a couple of different podcasts. I didn't want to use them as reference, though. Like, I I didn't want to go off of them because I wanted it to be different. And I wanted to make sure I got as much as I could. It was... was I I literally started writing this at, like, 10 o'clock this morning. So, I'm doing Christian Gerhardt's Writer. Never heard of it. I'm surprised. I am too, because I've heard of a lot now. I think once you hear it, you might recognize it. Probably. My sources for this are Wikipedia, um, time.com, cbsnews.com, charlieproject.org, and a Vanity Fair article by Mark Seal from 2008. Okay. So, I just so, want to I just want to say this is a very this long one and oh. I apologize for how long I'm about to talk. Um I'm going to try to cut out certain things if I have to. If I feel like this is going on for too long, I will cut it out. But um a lot of this was kind of necessary. <laughs> yeah. Cuz there were some things that I didn't even know about and I've heard this story at least two or three times. So it's important to mention it because we've never heard of it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully people like the extra stuff that I've added in. That'll be nice, yeah. Okay, so Christian Gerhardt's writer was born, according to his parents, and this is a big one, according to his parents, February 21st, 1961, in Bavaria, Germany. 
Okay. According to him, it's a year earlier on February 29th. But that's... Because... Wait, because I didn't want him to be a leap day baby? No. Okay. No. His parents have the correct birth date. Oh, okay. So... Like, if... It, it's... It's, it's, it's a, so much. Okay, it's a thing. It's so okay. much. Okay. As a child, Christian was smart, albeit a troublemaker, and apparently very awkward. Yeah. Like most kids. <laughs> like most, but he was like, I don't know. And More he, awkward. anyway, he, like most other people, he had a desire to get the fuck out of his hometown. Like, yeah. Duh. Everybody wants that. At least so, temporarily. I mean, most people, at least, at least want that for a little bit. He was hitchhiking in Germany at 17 when he met an American couple, the Kellens. They gave him a ride, and when he found out that they were from California, he was just like, yes, I love it. He began telling them all about how much he loved Hollywood movies, old Hollywood, and just, like, the culture surrounding all of that, and how much he wanted to get out of his town. Yeah. His desire was so strong that around a year later, he lied on his immigration forms, saying that a couple in California invited him to stay with them. I remember it now! Yes. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, how how do you keep, like, I can't even remember somebody's name, like, five minutes after I met them. So to remember these two people's last names Mm -hmm. from that long ago... But see, also, when you go through customs, they tend to ask for the address you're staying at, too. Oh, really? Well, yes. I don't know. This was back in the um, 70s, so I'm not sure Uh-oh. about that part. Um, okay. But for some reason, he told his parents that a New York radio station had hired him as a DJ. Mm. I don't uh, know sure, sure. why yeah. he would say that. I don't. It was really weird. But so his parents think he had a job? I guess so, but he could have said anything. Why New York and why a DJ? <laughs> That's so weird. So, uh, anyway, like I said before, he loved Hollywood and he had this dream of becoming a movie star. And that was his sort of original plan. But he first lands in Meriden, Meridian? Meriden, Meriden, Meriden Connecticut. Where he put an ad in the newspaper posing as an exchange student who needed a place to stay. And one family, the Savios family, they were like, yeah, you, a total stranger, are welcome in our home. This was a different time. With no sort of actual fact checking. And I know that. It's just, it's crazy to me. So, Look, but like, people you know, normally the they go through, got away with a lot. I know, I know. But like, normally for exchange students at least these days you have a whole program that you go through and i guess during that he's just like he's just like hey guys i'm gonna do my last uh year of high school in america that's just what i'm gonna do that's fun that's crazy so this family has their own son ed who's around the same age and they enroll christian as an exchange student with him at berlin high school Christian sort of creates this whole persona and tells the Savios family that he comes from a prominent wealthy family in Germany. Like, so wealthy, they had maids and butlers and shit like that. He told them that his father was an industrialist, something to do with, like, Mercedes or something. 
And they're like, okay, okay, cool. A little, like, a little weird that you need to find a family to live with if you're super rich. That's what I was just thinking. You know, it's the late 70s. They don't need to think that much about it. They don't need to think. They don't need to think about it. (laughs) No thought involved. Just spur of the moment. So Christian slept on the Savios family's couch and he was so fucking entitled he always expected for his breakfast to be prepared for him and for his laundry to be done by the family. He never picked up after himself and he sat on the couch watching his favorite TV show, Gilligan's Island, all day. I knew that was going to be what you said. But, but so Gilligan said- Islands threw you off? Gilligan's Island no. threw you off? No, 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 no. Gilligan's Island didn't throw me off. My semi-intoxicated brain plus the headache. When you said, huh, I was like, oh, God, he was watching hentai in the living room. That's horrible. (laughs) That's the title, hentai in the living room. That is it. You cannot convince me of anything else. Okay. (laughs) Okay. He, so, he loved American TV shows. His favorite show, above all others, was Gilligan's Island, right? But... He was also so enamored with one of the characters, Thurston Howell III, who was um, a wealthy man from New England, so much so that he began to mimic the speech patterns of the character. So it's like, yes, okay. yes, my dear boy. You know, yes. that's that shit. Yes, 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 my dear boy, please. Yes. Yeah. That was actually Yes. That was actually my whole thing when um we first started recording. I was going to say, Hello Hello, my dear boy, how are you? It's like uh <laughs> Professor Trelawney. Yeah. 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 That's I was I mean, I'm serious. I was thinking about it all day. I was gonna go, Hello Oh gee, dear God, that's so loud. Um But he really acted like living there and the way that they lived was really beneath him. And one day in 1980, the family's daughter, who was younger, I think like eight, was mm-hmm. locked out of the house. Oh, no. And Christian was so lazy that he wouldn't even get up from the couch to let her in for like three hours during the middle of winter. Oh, Jesus. Is yeah. She, was she okay? Yeah, she was fine. Okay. But that was pretty much the last straw, so they kicked him out. Well, yeah. no shit. <laughs> I would too. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Like, we don't like, ask. We, we don't ask much of you, but we you could at least let somebody in the fucking house. house. Goddamn. Yeah. We let you into our house, and you won't even let our daughter into the house for real. So he moved west, heading towards California, but stopped in Wisconsin. 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 <laughs> by this point, he was going by Chris Kenneth Gerhardt. Don't know why. So he enrolled at the University of Wisconsin, the Milwaukee campus, where he studied film. He somehow, despite not being a citizen, planned on voting for Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he told the Savios family, like, he kept in contact with them. And he was on the phone with them uh, during a phone call that he told them this. And they're like, how? You're not a citizen. And he said... That he would soon have a green card and be a legal citizen. I can't remember. Does he marry someone? Yes. <laughs> okay. Next bullet point. Next so, bullet point. He marries this girl. He managed to get convince 22-year-old Amy Dunkey to marry him by telling her that if he 
had to go back to Germany, he would have to go into the army and he would be sent to fight in the Cold War on the Russian front line, which was not a thing. Also, you deserve it. But that wasn't even a thing. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So anyway, they got married at a courthouse in 1981 with one of Christian's classmates as like a witness slash best man. Yeah. Um, after a few, yeah, he was like, this is kind of weird. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, oh yeah, no, 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 this is what, this is where the guy was like, I didn't really know him. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. He was like, I mean, I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say no to being best man and like free food. Basically. <laughs> so a few weeks after the wedding, he stopped showing up for classes and he divorced Amy right after he got his green card and left for California. Literally all he had when he arrived in California was his car and barely any money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started going by Christopher Chichester, the 13th Baronet. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Doesn't Baronet usually mean female? <laughs> you know, No. A member of the lowest hereditary titled British order with the status of a commoner, but able to use the prefix sir. Okay. So he probably asked people to call him Sir Chichester. Chichester. Yeah. So he began to ingratiate himself into the extremely wealthy and and extremely exclusive community of San Marino. Okay. They're like some of the wealthiest people in the country. Like, and is this already in California? Yes. In Marino? Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> not that we would know. I mean, we're... No, not that we would know or anything. Um, although I feel like I listen to so many podcasts where so many of their stories are in California, so I feel like I know California very well at this point. But that's also because they live in California, and then Not only that, but the there South. are so many fucking serial killers in California, especially in the 70s and 80s. Crazy. Yep. Okay. And it's because they weren't focused on that. They were focused on yeah. others. So, he became a regular at the local businesses and social clubs where, which is so smart to me. It's so smart. So And it became a uh, regular? He would, yeah. He, and he would get free lunches um, that were served to members and... Um, he would go to the prominent churches where weddings had huge buffets that were uh, easily crashed. Like, and he would go to libraries, which he would loiter there for hours and study things that would make him seem more knowledgeable about like business and stuff. Mm-hmm. He had the he had oversized calling cards made, uh, which were embossed with what he claimed was the Chichester family crest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a heron with its wings spread with an eel in its beak, and it had the family auto firm in foi, meaning firm in faith. And the card read, Christopher Chichester, 13th Baronet, San Marino, California. <laughs> I, um, fairly uh, certain that in California we're not a part of any system that includes baronets. No, but he's, he's a baronet, and he's there I, now. I mean, he's not a baronet, but he also he dressed... He was a baronet. Baronet. Quote, quote, baronet. Mm. <laughs> so, he also dressed in expensive clothing, had impeccable manners, you know, and he had that sort of, like, aristocratic accent, like, yes, <laughs> you know. So, people just believed him. Yes. 
he was that charming and that convincing. And I'm, I'm sure that it didn't help that you couldn't really check stuff like that out unless you had, like, real contacts. Yeah, they really didn't have Google at that point. Like, oh, let me talk to my uh, British aristocratic Le- friend. <laughs> like, Let me consult my Siri. Yeah, like, it's not an option. <laughs> I, that's just crazy. He could talk about anything, um, probably because of how long he spent in the libraries. Um, so mm-hmm. he could talk about, like, business, politics, society, royalty, especially royalty. You know, because he was royalty. Of course. Yeah, he said he was descended from a British royal, specifically um, Lord Mountbatten. Mountbatten? The British, Mountbatten. A British naval officer <laughs> and um, last British viceroy of India. Like, okay. People, people genuinely thought he was so impressive. Super impressive. Yeah. Yes. So, he would also meet these rich older widows with big houses and live as a tenant in their empty rooms or pool houses. Yeah, this is- I really wish that they could have seen my little- (laughs) Yeah, it's like, ugh. (laughs) Ugh. (laughs) I don't even know how to describe that. That was like a whole head eye roll. Yeah, it was an an entire body eye roll. So, this is how he met Dee Dee Sohas? Sohas. So, H-U-S. So us. So us. So us. I feel like that's house. So house. So house? Is it? I, f- I feel like it is. I might be wrong. We'll say so house. Sure. So house. Anyway, she was a former socialite who was described as a frail, reclusive, and eccentric alcoholic. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, um, she used to have a plane and she blew it, maybe? She blew it? Flew it? Flew it? I was gonna say. She blew it up. No, I think she flew her own plane for a little while. Um, okay, that's cool. That is pretty cool. But now that's she's really an eccentric cool. alcoholic. Uh, which Hey, you know, sometimes it goes hand in hand. Not wrong. Um, so he heard that we're not calling out. Um, no, we are airplane. not. I'm not. Cut. Okay. So, he heard that Dee Dee had an empty guest house, and he quickly moved in. (laughs) Of course he did. Uh, Six months later, though, Dee Dee's son John and his wife Linda moved in, and John's like, why the fuck did you let this stranger move in? And she's like, he's a baronet, dear, don't question it. Why is this rando living in your pool house? For real. Um, That's so weird. Um... Anyway, so they're not super fond of the fact that some random dude is living in her house. Of course not. And John starts thinking, maybe uh, this guy's after his mom's money. And she's like, no, he's a baronet. He's got his own money. (laughs) And he's like, if he's got his own money, why is he living with you? Why is he living in your spare room? Right. Right. In February of 1985, John and his wife sort of, um, disappear. Oh. Yeah. Concerning. (laughs) Very. Um, Christian told Dee Dee not to worry that John had received an offer for a top secret government job in Europe and that he had to move away. Oh, he just had to move away. Yeah, he just had to move away. She's like... Why can't I know about it? He's my son. And also, he doesn't work for the government, so that makes no sense. He totally works for the government. (laughs) And he says that no one is supposed to know except for him. (laughs) 
<laughs> She's okay. like, cool, sure. Sure, but why you? Why right, not his right, right, right. So she's like, cool, cool, sure, 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 sure. Okay. Um, and then she follows a missing persons report. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Um, soon after, she receives a postcard from Paris that says, Mom, talk soon. That's it. Nothing Mom, else. Mom, talk soon. Mom, talk soon. Sure. That's yeah. not that's not really satisfying enough for her, obviously. And even p- police were becoming suspicious, so four months later... Also... Yeah. Also, the postcards that I sent you from Florida um, when we were kids, I would not spend that much money to send it from Paris to California for mom talk soon. Right. And I mean, I, I guess I can kind of see the way that he was thinking, like, he was probably like, oh, you know... It's top secret, so we wouldn't be able to put anything really specific on there. Wink, wink. I don't know. Like, but he could be like, "Hey, mom, just want to let you know we're in France. We can't." But t- he wouldn't be able to if it was top detail. secret. But if he was top but secret, he- what if he couldn't even say where he was? But it even said it's from Paris, so like, I don't know. But also, it's one of those things he could have said. Hey, mom, sorry, I had to leave. Can't talk. We'll call you soon. Right. Right. So, um, so four months later, Christian's like, well, bye, and leaves town in John's new pickup truck, which he, quote, left behind when he, quote, moved to Europe. (laughs) So, on his way out of California, he stops by the Kellen family's home. You remember the family he kept in touch with, uh, that he met in Germany? Germany? Yeah. 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 Um... He kept in touch with them through the years, um, probably just so, like... weird. Well, no, I'm thinking <laughs> that it was probably, like, um, like, you know, he put their name on the immigration form. I'm thinking that maybe oh, he yeah. did that just to be, like, they, oh, yeah, I know that kid. Because he, he kept in contact with them, so he kept up Yeah, I appearances. think so. But, I mean, yeah. he could just genuinely like them and like them because they're from California and he thinks they're cool. That's a I possibility. I feel like he probably did because you, even psychopaths, you don't keep up with someone that you just don't, True. you don't like. Yeah. Unless he can get something from them. I mean, even or maybe then, he's a sociopath. Like, I don't, I don't want to generalize between sociopaths even and, gener- then, and psychopaths. you like well. something about them, even if it's just their money, you like something. Sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, He so he goes to their house in L.A., and says that he's leaving California, blah, blah, blah. The thing is, while Christian's saying goodbye, the Kellen's son, Wayne, walks outside and walks by the truck that Christian was driving and sees a woman who's obviously been crying sitting in the truck. But, uh, you know, he doesn't really think anything of it. He He's, it's like, it's not my business. Like, that's his stuff. Maybe it's like... Americans need to stop being like that. This was the 70s, 80s at this point. Americans don't need to stop being like that. But anyway, so he's like, just remember that for later. (laughs) Yes, just remember it for later. It's very important. Yeah. So Christian, now Christopher Crow, makes his way back to Connecticut. This time he moves to Greenwich and starts... Greenwich, Connecticut. Yes, starts the shit all over. All over. Okay, so have we been in Boston yet? No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> we'll get there eventually, no promise. I okay. wouldn't have picked this if it didn't have Boston in it. I assumed so, but I just wanted to check. <laughs> oh, I'm actually not in Boston this week. <laughs> I am in Connecticut. It was <laughs> super surrounding area. There's no murders in Connecticut that I could have picked. No. Uh, in Massachusetts. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Ignore me. Shit. Oh, you know, besides the entire... Um, State? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he goes to Greenwich, Connecticut. He starts his thing all over again. He frequented private clubs and targeted women yet again, like older women. Uh, he told people that he was a producer from LA who had worked on the Alfred Hitchcock remakes and he looked the part. Um, so he, he had custom made shirts that were monogrammed with CCC, Christopher something, um, expensive clothes. And he carried Hot himself Bougie. with an air of like, I'm a rich bitch, you know? How bougie. Yes. Also, if you um, go look at who made these uh, Hitchcock remakes, there is a mm -hmm. producer named Christopher Crowe, so he really chose his name with that well. in mind. Yeah. So, he rents a room in the back of a mansion and gets okay. a job. Surprising, right? A job. Very surprising. Yes. He, he met an employee. Why would he want to work as a baronet? He's no longer really a baronet. Southern there. Oh Jesus. Okay. He's no longer a baronet. He's a, a LA producer. Remember? Sure. So he met an employee of a leading brokerage firm who got him an interview, and he was hired to work on computers at that firm. He didn't really seem to work though. Um, well, gee, I wonder why he's working on computers and he doesn't know a thing about computers. Right. So, <laughs> he was often found in the trading room talking about Af Alfred Hitchcock or some other random self-involved garbage lie. Um, yeah. He said that he was not from one, but two royal families in Germany told people that his mother and sister were in France... And that they had this mansion there and would show people pictures of them all the time. Here's where she gets crazy, though. Oh, my God. Okay. This is the part that I love that's so fucking crazy and can never... It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I think he's just, like, fucking with people at this point. He, he, was, hi he was hired on so fast that... Um, you know, because he seemed so fancy and qualified, they never really got around to performing a background check on him. And somebody yeah. finally decided that they should probably check him out because obviously he's not doing his job. And Also, they were following company policy. Eventually. Eventually. Eventually, um, yes. And that's when they found out that the social security number he put on his application didn't belong to him. <laughs> it belonged to well. That's a giant red flag. Oh We're my just god! Wave it in the air. It's not even the biggest red flag because it came back as belonging to David Berkowitz, aka the son of Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that is the hugest red flag I've ever heard in my life. <gasps> yeah. And so he was immediately fired. Immediately. Speaking of something else we have to cover. I know. I know. <laughs> believe me. But yeah, like, how insane is that? That you, you are so fucking cocky that you think that you can put down fucking David Berkowitz's social security, social security number. First of all, yeah. how did you get 
David Berkowitz's like social security number. He's close and personal. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so that's the only thing I can think of. That is like, that is so cocky for them to just like to just think that they're gonna go off of like your. I, I, your, your persona for yeah. so long and not actually check into you that you think that they're actually not even gonna check. <sighs> okay, but to be fair, for the longest time, they didn't. I know, and that's what's so crazy. That makes no sense to me that they would just hire somebody like that, not even check their background. I, that's, look, that's not even crazy. That is straight up against the majority of companies' policies. But the thing is, we got, I mean, and I gotta try to remember that. This was back then, and that they didn't do it as much, but you would think working at a company, especially like a brokerage firm, that they would oh, at yeah. least do something. Well, and also, you would think you want to know, in LA, you would know t- Words. You would no, he's want in Greenwich. to know who you're working- Oh, he's in- He's okay, in Greenwich. He's in Greenwich now. Okay, makes a little bit more. Okay, I was still but this is still this LA. is still like one of the leading brokerage firms, especially like in the state in the area. Yeah. Anyway, so he was fired, um, and then got another job, despite not having a college degree or any experience. A social security number. <laughs> exactly. He was hired on to be vice president of corporate bonds at another brokerage firm. Yeah. Look, if I knew it was this easy to this easy to be, <laughs> I'm telling you, I. But even like, his, <laughs> even his coworkers were con- confused by this. It was glaringly obvious that he literally had no idea what he was doing. He was hired by an executive who, quote was taken by people who seemed to be blue-blooded and wasn't the kind of guy who would necessarily check references. So. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, I gotta give it to this guy. He was a talented grifter. He is a extremely con artist. Exactly. Like, really? Um, he He was really able to act the part. He... So he lived in a guest house on an estate in Greenwich and told people he was living there while renovating the main house when there was actually somebody living in that main house. Sure. Yeah. So remember how I said that he wore those monogram shirts? Of course he did. He he apparently also had monogrammed slippers and pajamas. Yeah. Um. mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It... Look, the majority of guys that I know do not like to wear pajamas, so this is really pretentious. Dude, I wear underwear and a t-shirt or a tank top. I don't wear fucking pajamas. Most people do not wear pajamas. No. Like, when it it comes to men, boxer shorts. When it comes to women, um, tank top, like you said, underwear, maybe shorts... Sometimes I don't even fucking wear underwear. Sometimes I don't wear anything. If it gets really fucking hot, no. Yeah. I mean, exactly. This is uh, really just... Ugh, this guy. I... But they're I rich. Can't. Maybe maybe back in the 80s, they didn't know that they could sleep without clothes. <laughs> <laughs> they're just that re- uh, repressed. Maybe. You never know. Yes. So, honestly, it didn't matter that he... like. 
in the end, it didn't matter that he looked or acted the part, though. He couldn't keep it going long term. He was fired again. And somehow got another job in management at a prestigious securities firm. A security? A securities firm. But at this point, I know. I know. I know. Because they have, they have to take your social security number. They need your fingerprints, dude. They need all of that shit. So they didn't test this? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. But, so, at this point, Connecticut state troopers were searching for him because a man tried to register the truck that had belonged to Dee Dee's son, John, after it had been given to him by a bond trader named Chris Crow, a.k.a. Christian Gerhardt's So, when police arrived, he was long gone, having quit his job, saying that his parents were missing in Afghanistan and had to leave. Oh my god. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So, police got his fingerprints and confirmed his identity. And they're like, this is that same dude that was over in California. This is weird. Yeah. And now... Very. One step closer... Now we're headed to New York. We are not even in Massachusetts yet. We're still in New York. (laughs) So we've we've gone from California. No, 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 no. Quick place. We've gone from Connecticut to California. Oh, so okay. Germany. Germany. Connecticut. Connecticut. California. California. Connecticut. Connecticut. New York. We are five. Well, technically, like four or five (laughs) places now. So okay. But we're one step closer. Okay, we're in New York. Yes. This time, he's using the name. Are you ready for this? James, I am not. Hmm. But. <laughs> it's a it's it's a name. James Frederick Mills Clark Rockefeller, or you know, just Clark Rockefeller. Um. Yes. James. James Clark. Frederick Mills Clark Rockefeller. You that know, because those rich, those rich people close to his name. No, there's a like, C in there that, somewhere. <laughs> that would be all fine and dandy, but that's not even close to his name. Like he could have just what is his name again? Christian. His name is Charles? Christian Gerhardt's writer. Christian. He could have kept one of the names. Christian. He kept a C. He went a from not Christian. Christian to Christopher. Chris. Uh, yeah, Christopher Look, okay. to Clark. My brain works apparently a little bit better when it's intoxicated because I'm like, okay, why didn't he do this? No, I think it's really good that he picked a name that wasn't so similar because it's less likely that if, that you will have, because that's a really common mistake that people make when they change their name. They'll keep their first name but change the last name and people are like, okay. obviously, you know? Okay, valid, but also imagine the emotional instability in the fact that he doesn't even... He doesn't even have a name that he can grasp onto. That I mean, is his name because he keeps freaking changing names. Believe me, it'll come into play later because you'll see. He's got some sort of psychological problem here. Like, I mean, obviously. We'll but... talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. But, um, no, I mean, I think that's part of being a grifter, though, is like being able to switch between these sort of um, personas fairly easily so guy with many names (laughs) many names (laughs) so he joined saint thomas church on fifth avenue a church attended by many like wealthy and important people of course 
That's sure. his shtick. He goes for those yes. places. Um, That's his M.O. Yeah, person. yeah. He moved into an apartment on East 57th Street, which is a fairly expensive neighborhood. He yes. determined. He, <laughs> he was so determined never to set foot back in Connecticut. Yeah. Really? Yes. He told people. What? what? Why? Because the Connecticut State Police were, State Troopers were looking oh, for him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So he told people that it was because his parents had been killed there. Yeah. He wants. Melodramatic much? Fuck. Um, Connecticut. Okay. Yes. His parents were killed there. Not really. But whatever. That's what he told people. That's why he wouldn't go to Connecticut. Because he said that his parents mm-hmm. were killed there. His parents are in Germany. He's, he's a fucking liar. Anyway, so he once flipped out because he was in a car that was about to cross over the boundary into Connecticut. He made the car stop and he told everyone at a gas station, he told everyone to get out, use the bathroom because they were not stopping in Connecticut. Really? Yes, he's like, we're not stopping here. We're not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> so he just, just he disliked Connecticut this much. Well, I mean, yeah, he told them that it was about his parents. Parents but, died. Yeah, that it was yeah. really traumatic for him. But really, he was just trying. So the rest of their ride through Connecticut, he turned up his collar, put on a hat, and sat down low in his seat. The whole time. He was avoiding the cops. Yes. And I feel like if I had been in the car with him and I saw somebody doing that, I would have been like, yeah, this dude's super suspect. Yeah. And I, because I don't know anybody who's like traumatized that would be like, let me hide myself from everybody. I don't know. Yeah. 1992 to 19, around 1992, 1993, Christian slash James Frederick Mills Clark Rockefeller. <laughs> um, yes. He became fairly well known in the art scene as a patron of the arts, convincing people that he was from one of the most prominent and well-known families in New York, obviously the Rockefellers, <laughs> which is a very risky gambit. Like, yeah, they're obviously. Yes. So he put on this persona of sort of an extremely private and paranoid millionaire so he could avoid being asked too many probing questions about his life, which is very smart. I gotta give him that. So, he, he even walked around with a radio device pretending like he was communicating with a security office. Like, he had to report in where he was. Yes. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He got mm-hmm. so yep. into this character, it's crazy. I'm not even sure what parts of this character were actually him and what was his, just the the persona he was trying to give off. But his neighbor was an art dealer named Martha Henry, and she said he was very neurotic, but they became friends. He told her that his... He was very neurotic, but we became be- the best. I-, I would say the best of friends, but they became good they became, like, good friends, acquaintances, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, he told her that his parents had died in a car crash when he was 16, right before he oh went to... E- 16. Right before he either, either went to Harvard or Yale. Um, it's not sure which At one. 16, At 16? Uh, because he was a prodigy. He was sure, a prodigy, whatever. apparently. All this stuff. He never ate in restaurants because he didn't trust the kitchen staff. 
Um, his diet consisted of mainly <laughs> cucumber and watercress tea sandwiches. Only so you're eating nope, water. Look, only on Pepperidge Farm bread with the crusts removed, and Pepperidge Farm cookies, preferably the Nantucket variety. His favorite food, though, was haggis. I've never had haggis. Have you tried it? You went to Scotland. I did not because I really did not want to eat sheep liver. I kind of want to try um, it. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to try it. I do not. I think that's so funny. Th- you want to go down into the fucking catacombs where you could lost and get and like <laughs> get dead. And I want to have some sheep liver. I don't... Mm. Okay, but I am basing my taste preferences on the fact that I do not like chicken liver, so why the hell would I like I don't think I've ever liver? had chicken liver, to be fair. So, I'll have to try it, and then I'll get back to you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and his drink of choice was Harvey's Bristol Cream Sherry. Have you ever had sherry? Isn't that, like, what old people drink? No, it's like a, um... The only time I've ever encountered sherry is on TV shows, and it's what those, like, old, like, socialites drink. It's like, give me my sherry, dear. You know? I wouldn't necessarily say old, but it's a very... When I I say say old, I mean, I just mean older. No, I haven't, but it's one of those, um... It's a darker wine, not necessarily enjoyed by the elder, but more so by the elite. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. So, like, if you can afford it, get it. (laughs) I'll have to look for something (laughs) next time I go to a liquor bar. Anyway, this Martha Henry, uh, she didn't really question his weird food choices. Honestly, I wouldn't either because it's cucumber and watercress tea sandwich. Not that different from Benedictine spread, which I've been craving all summer so far. Oh my god, I love Benedictine spread. Yes, I've been craving it so much. I also love cucumbers, so whatever. But yeah, she didn't question it because, you know, he's a Rockefeller. He's rich and eccentric. You know, whatever. Yeah, sure. Rich people are fucking weird. Like, come on. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. One day, he asked if she would help him determine the value of some paintings he had inherited. And she's like, sure, why not? Turns out that he had a multi-million dollar collection that he told her he had inherited from his great aunt Blanchette, who is a benefactor of MoMA, aka, for those who don't know, the Museum of Modern Art, and uh, widow of John D. Rockefeller. Yeah. Likely story. Well, and like, Blanchett Rockefeller died in 1992, so there could have been an estate settled around that time. So he just had really good timing. He really did. He really did. It's insane. Uh, I just don't understand where he got all of that art from, and I could not find out. And a lot of it may not have actually been substantiated, like, and verified paintings. They could all have been fake, for all I know. I don't know. That's what I was about to ask. Is it possible that he... That he could have faked some of these paintings. Right, and it's entirely possible, but I just, there was, she was an actual art dealer. So you would think that I'm she, like, sp- I know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you would think as an actual art dealer, she would be able to tell the difference between some fakes. Yeah, you would think. Oh, well. So, yeah. he met a woman named Julia Boss through the, um, the church. What church was it? 
<laughs> the Church of Saint Saint Thomas Church. <laughs> he uh, he met <laughs> he met a woman named Julia Boss through Saint Thomas Church, who had a twin sister named Sandra, who okay. was a Stanford graduate that was attending Harvard Business School for her MBA, and she asked Julia, yeah, Julia asked if he would like to meet her twin sister. Okay. And he was like, fuck yeah. Obviously. And okay. he threw a party at his apartment for her to come to. He threw a party for her to come to? Yes. The, you know, that's the thing for, like, rich people. They're, like, for, like, party, when they want to meet somebody, they'll throw, like, a party or some shit. Sure, we're just gonna great Gatsby this shit. They didn't just great Gatsby this shit. No, look, they clued the shit. It was they a clue. clue it was a clue themed party. This is my dream, Rachel. Oh okay. my fucking dream. Everyone had to come as a clue character and tell the doorman that they were there to meet Mr. Body. Oh my god. This is my okay. fucking dream. She showed up as Scarlet and he was Mr. Plum. Anyway, they hit it off immediately. And mm-hmm. they had a shared interest interest in like art and, and um, business and shit like that. She fell in love with him. He knew of the works of obscure did. novelists that she loved. He spoke several languages fluently, even Klingon. That's cool as shit. That's cool that as shit. That is nerdy That's as cool shit. as shit. Don't be, that don't is, be a butthole. Okay, look, That's cool. That is coming from a nerd. That is nerdy as shit. I would love to know Klingon. Are you fucking kidding? (laughs) That'd be great. That is nerdy as shit. You're a nerd. Leave me alone. I am a nerd. I feel attacked. So he was charming, witty, worldly, and as he told her, he had been rich before his late father's fortune was wiped out by a lawsuit. Likely story. She loved that he didn't care about material wealth and that they shared <laughs> sorry and that they shared a pa- <laughs> that they shared a passion for setting up non-profits for international poverty relief and development and again as he told her worked in debt reconstructing for emerging nations debt reconstructing for emerging nations. Yeah. So, like, he was the perfect man for her. He turned himself into this man that was, like, exactly what she wanted. Okay. And she was the perfect woman for him because she was rich and (laughs) well-connected. Yeah. Yes. So, they got married. By the way, um... He said that his mother was a child star, Anne Carter, who was known for her starring role opposite Humphrey Bogart in The Two Mrs. Carrolls. He is just making up these lies. It's wild. So his father was apparently a Rockefeller, and his mother was a child actress or whatever. Sure. So, except (laughs) nobody even bothered to check if she was still alive or anything about that. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, partially because it was the 80s. Nobody really has the ability to check some stuff like that. But, I mean... Whatever. Also, he's... (laughs) This is one of the worst parts. He said that when they died, he was mute for 10 years. Sure. Yes. Anyway, they get married, or at least everyone... Thinks they did. 
Okay. Including Sandra. She signed everything and gave it to him to file, except he never did. Of course he didn't. Why would he? <clears throat> so, I mean, especially because he basically does not exist. Pretty, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. he's running his company where he advises third world countries on their finances. He didn't make any money in the job, he explained, because the nations were really poor, and charging them a consulting fee would be unconscionable. Unconscionable of all things. Obviously, obviously this job was fake. It it was not real. Yeah. He didn't have a real job. Sandra did, though, and she was raking it in. Of course she was, because she's a badass bitch. She's a boss-ass bitch, because her last name is Boss. There we go, yes. Anyway. Things in their marriage weren't great, and in early 2001, Sandra left him. Ooh, yes. go girl. However, he did woo her back, and when he did, she became pregnant. Unfortunately, that is how it goes. Yes. Yeah. Um, for the sake of their daughter, um, they stay together, and mm. their daughter's name is Ray mm. Storo Mills Rockefeller. Ray Storrow's Mill Rockefeller. Ray Storrow Mills Rockefeller. Or, as they call her, Snooks. Snooks. Like Snooky, but Snooks. Yeah. I don't know. My dad called me Goosey when I was a kid, so. Valid. Anyway, they were inseparable. Um, But when she was five, they enrolled her at Southfield School for Girls in Boston, Massachusetts. Finally, we're here. We We made it. Finally, Um, towards the end of the story. Yeah, they actually do end up moving to New Hampshire before this, but I cut it out because it was too much. Yeah. Around this time, possibly earlier, I think, um, timeline was really hard to keep track of. Actually, I think back in 2004, this is like in 2000-something, I don't know. Um, A new family moved into, if you remember, Dee Dee Sohouse. I do not. The woman that he moved in with, um, whose son disappeared oh and his wife disappeared. Yes, 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 yes. Pool house. So, lady. a new family moved into Dee Dee Sosa's so house's house as she had died a few years previously, unfortunately. Oh. Um, they decided to put a pool in the backyard. And you can see where this is going. Uh-huh. <laughs> They uh-huh, found a uh-huh. box buried in the backyard that contained plastic bags filled with remains of a human body, which was identified as John Sohouse. One of the bags containing John's body is from the University of Michigan in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Like, how dumb can you get? If you're going to kill somebody, at least don't do something that literally has something to do with you. Use a fucking Walmart bag. I don't know. Goddamn. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it's just a, um, yeah. yeah. So, police, um, connect, you know, Gerhardt's writer, and, uh, interview the Kellens back in L.A., and when they see a picture of John's wife, Linda, they're like, holy shit, that's the woman who was crying in the truck. Oh my god, really? Yes. What? And at this point, that's when the FBI and Interpol get involved. Okay. Yes, this is why it's so fucking long. 
all of this is on the news of horse and Christian slash Christopher slash Clark slash fucking whatever is following it very closely and he has like a sort of breakdown and mm. the marriage between him and Sandra begin to sour once again. Him, He and Sandra are arguing about how to raise their daughter. Um, she's exceptionally bright but undisciplined and that's mainly his fault. He didn't really want to discipline her at all because they were tight. Um, yes. She was his angel, like the only person he'd ever like people think he ever really connected to and loved and um yeah so he goes back yeah. to his old controlling and abusive ways and like she's the one making money here he's gone without a job for years but he's in, he's convinced her to let him be in control of her bank accounts which becomes a huge problem which is just crazy because yes why so she goes on a business a business trip and while she's gone, he's served with divorce papers. <laughs> yeah. So, the divorce and the custody battle were rough. Like I said before, she was the only one making money, so during all this, he was broke. Of course. He tried to slander her by saying that she only ever wanted him for his money because he's a Rockefeller and how she took everything from him. Which is absolutely not not the truth. He was spending all of her fucking money all the time. <clears throat> I'm sure he was because he was a yes, fake yes, exactly. And during all of this, she hires a private investigator to look into him. Mm -hmm. She found out um, with by the time all of this happens, like 2007, 2008, she finds out she googles his mother and finds out she's still alive. And a lot of the oh, stuff, good. yeah, and a lot of the stuff that he's told her has been either a complete fabrication or just a slightly off, stuff like that. So she's found enough that she's like, who the fuck is this person? Which is why she gets a private investigator. So he is unwilling to risk exposing his past and obviously unable to produce documentation to prove his current identity. So Sandra got everything. Sandra got Sandra everything. Sandra got everything. I mean, good for her. Yes. Like, the historic house and church in Cornish. They owned a church, by the way, which he had only bought because this um, this lady had started... It was back in Connecticut. She had started to... I think it was in Connecticut. Either Connecticut. I don't remember. There's so many... He was in so many fucking places. I'm pretty sure it was Connecticut. But he um, had bought this church in Cornish because... She had started questioning his identity and, like, who mm -hmm. he really was, whether he was a Rockefeller. Mm -hmm. As she also got the town in Beacon Hill, she also won mm -hmm. custody of Snooks. Hey, Beacon Hill, sorry. I know, yeah, 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 yeah. She also won custody of Snooks. Of Snooks? Yes. What? Yes. Okay. And the judge approved her request to move to London limiting him to only three court-supervised visits a year. She okay. also changed her daughter's last name to her own, so no more, like, fake Rockefeller bullshit. Logical, yes. He gave up all of his rights to his daughter in return for just $800,000. That is a pretty penny. Also, on top of that $800,000, they wouldn't look into his past anymore. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, July 26, 2008. 
Ray slash Snooks, whatever you want to call her, comes to Boston. Snooks. Comes to Boston for one of their supervised visits, and they're walking along the Boston Commons with the social worker uh, when an SUV pulls up. Okay. Christian slash Christopher slash Clark slash what the fuck ever hit the social worker over the head, grabbed Ray, and jumped into the back of the SUV. Mm. Yeah. The social worker held on to the back of the SUV, but wasn't able to hold on for very long. She immediately called the police, and a countrywide search went into action. By the way, he had actually paid this driver $3,000 for the day and instructed him not to let anyone else in the car. Um, and Sketchy. He, yeah, he told them that there was someone who was, like, following them that they, and that they might need a quick getaway. Okay. Yeah. Ray hit her head on the door while they were getting into the SUV, so he told the driver to drop them off and he would take her to the hospital to get her checked out. But that's not what happened. Oh my god, what happened? So, they questioned his now ex-wife about him, tried to get his information, any sort of background, but she didn't have anything. Of course. Well, I mean, of course she didn't. Right. They filed their tax returns separately. Um, he did. She didn't have his social security number. She had bought everything, so they never needed any of his info. And it, like when his wife, uh, his wife's firm required a public accountant to do her taxes, he found an accountant for her. And after their divorce, she learned, he told their accountant that he was her brother, so the accountant would continue filing single tax returns for her. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's all over the news, and people he had met all over the country started calling in, telling the police about how he went by a different name, but that they've met him. So they realized that this man that they like for the murder of John Sohouse mm-hmm. is... The same man who's just kidnapped his daughter. A real estate agent in Baltimore, Maryland, recognized him on the news and called the FBI. He told him that he sold someone resembling the man a carriage house on Ploy Street in Baltimore for $432,000, which he paid for the week prior with cashier's checks. Okay. Yeah, he said the man identified himself as Chip Smith and his daughter... (laughs) Smith. His daughter Chip as Smith. That's almost as bad as John Smith. It's so bad. I mean, it's bad. Smith. His daughter's name is worse though. He said her name was Muffy. Muffy. <laughs> Muffy. <Okay. laughs> and he said that he was a single parent and a ship's captain, and he was relocating from Chile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The police um, and FBI and everybody got to the house that he bought. And they were trying to get away for him to come out of the house so that there was, um, so they could separate him and his daughter, basically, so that if they surrounded them, he wouldn't have the chance to do something drastic to his daughter, just in case. Yeah. He had also bought a boat, which he kept at a marina two miles away, and they got the manager of the marina to call him on his cell phone and say that his boat was sinking. Was it actually sinking? Or just like, okay. No. Um, he walked out of his house. He was like, I'll be right there. And he walked out of his house and a plainclothes agent was like, where are you going, Clark? And he turned around (laughs) and he's like, he's like, I'm going to go get a turkey sandwich. (laughs) I'm going to go get a turkey sandwich. I'm going to go get a turkey sandwich. Agents wrestled him to the ground while others stormed to the house and got Ray. And she's totally fine. She's good. 
when he's questioned, he denies that he's from Germany despite having a German accent, and he insists that he grew up in New York, but they got into contact with his brother back in Germany who was like, yeah, that's my brother. Yeah, he's totally German. I'm like, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> of course he uh, is. Yeah. His, le- his lawyers pled insanity, but Dr. James Chu, a psychiatrist for the prosecution, testified that he had diagnosed Gerhard Ryder with a mixed personality disorder with narcissistic and antisocial traits, but felt that Gerhard Ryder had exaggerated his symptoms of mental illness and mm-hmm. was completely capable of knowing right from wrong. Yeah. So... In 2011, Christian Gerhardsreiter was found guilty of kidnapping his own daughter and got five years in jail. Two years Good. later, yes, two years later in 2013, he was tried and convicted of the first-degree murder of John Sohouse for which he got 27 years, which is pretty surprising because they didn't have a lot of physical evidence. Um, they really basically just had the fact that he sold his truck and that bag that they found from um, University of Milwaukee. Or University yeah. of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Yeah, but they couldn't prove anything else. Right, right. But, I mean, he got 27 years, so that's good. He that's will good. be eligible for parole in September of 2030 when he is 69 years old. 10 years from now? Yes. To this day, he maintains that he is innocent and not Christian Gerhardt's writer, although DNA and fingerprint analysis has concluded that he is. Uh-huh. Um, Unfortunately, to this day, Linda Sohouse has not been found. Oh, that is so horrible. Yeah, Linda's no. case remains un- unsolved and foul play is suspected. And um, it is on the Charlie Project if you want to look at it. But um, so far, they don't have... He hasn't confessed or said where her body is or if she's even dead. Um, they've had some cases where they... like. Some points in time where they have, her employers have been like, hey, this person says they need her reference, and they say they're Linda Sohouse, but Not that's really it. much other than that. Yeah. yeah. And that's my story. Oh, my God. That is crazy, and I also love how I realized what it was after, what was it, the second sentence? Yes. Yes. That yes. was fantastic. Thanks. So, I'm going to go on and move on to my story. It's really short i want it to be longer i actually kept looking mm-hmm. and i kept looking and i kept looking and i couldn't find anything else so yeah what is your story i don't think you ever you don't, I don't you didn't write it down i didn't tell you no yeah my story this week i am covering the dover demon oh i, I don't think i know about this oh my god you don't oh i don't gosh. think so um okay so i was going to do the bridge rider Bridgewater Triangle, like you suggested, but there was just so much. Yeah, and it was, it's a lot of information, so you have to be very, that's why. It's uh, a lot of information, yes. there's a lot of sightings, and I was having, I was This would have been a, a four-hour really, podcast. Yes, I was having a really hard time forming the words for it, so I needed to vote more time than I had available this week, which is hilarious given how many sources I found for this story. Mm-hmm. So, my sources are cryptozoologycryptids.fandom.com. That is a mouthful. 
<laughs> the mothman.phantom.com, wikipedia archive.boston.com, cryptidsfandoms.com, registercitizen.com, all that is interesting.com, the folklorist.com, onlyinyourstate.com, thoughtcatalog.com, simmonsliz.libguides.com, occult world.com and the native languages.org all right so we are just going to take a little half hour drive to dover massachusetts (laughs) (laughs) okay let's see i would have an issue with this word like i did earlier so yes okay half hour drive to dover massachusetts with the dover demon the creature is described as gray, white, or peach colored. Oh, with, okay. Yes, multiple colors with glowing eyes that are either green or orange. It okay. has un yes. <laughs> There's a lot of um multiples with the story. Should I look up pictures? No, I have pictures. They are on the drive, by oh, the way. Oh, perfect. Um, it has unusually long, tendril-like fingers and toes. Oh. <laughs> and while it can, while it can walk on two feet, it typically prefers to run on all four. So. Oof. The only sightings of this creature took place in one week of April in 1977. Oh, really? Only one week. Like, there are three sightings of this creature, and this is, like, pretty much a very famous creature. That's crazy. I can't believe there's only... That's such a short period of time for it to be such a prominent thing. Yes. So, the very first sighting took place on April 21st, 1977. 17-year-olds Bill Bartlett, Mike... Mazokoka. Okay. Mazoka and Andy Brody were driving north along Farm Street. So I did do a Google Street view and it's a little country road, much like mine. Bartlett was the one who was driving and he was the one who saw a very odd creature pacing along a stone wall. So... At first, he thought, you know, it was just a cat, a dog, just the normal thing you see on a, on a country road. It's a Raccoon, bird. Possum. It's a plane. It's a it could be anything. It's a Dover Devil. But he thought it was just this normal mammal until the lights hit it. So, oh, really? Yes. Apparently, as it was walking along the loose stones that had fallen from the wall, it was clutching at the rocks with its long, thin fingers and toes. Mm. And according to Bartlett, it had a large, bulbous, watermelon-shaped head that was disproportional to its skinny, long neck and body. Its limbs were long and also very thin. Okay. According to Bartlett, it also had very large hands and feet. It had huge, round, glassy, lidless, glowing orange eyes, no nose, mouth, or ears. Oh, dear. Mm. Oh, dear. Okay. 
In the light from the headlights, its skin appeared to be peach-colored and kind of, you know, sandpapery. Oh. And at one point, Bartlett even said it was like a wet sandpaper. Huh. Which actually made me think of when um, my mom's sister and I did this thing. I can't remember where it was on our cruise where we were with sharks the sharks had a wet sandpapery feel to their skin. See, that was not at all what I was thinking. I was thinking some rando at the beach who had a big rash on their back. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so Bartlett then claimed that it was no more than three and a half to four feet tall with a baby-shaped body. Despite the fact that this creature was just walking along the wall and really not bothering the boys, Bartlett got really scared and very quickly drove away. Yeah, I mean, you see something completely outrageous and something that, like, literally doesn't process in your mind, you're gonna be scared. Oh, yeah. No, and I don't doubt that. God, I sounded really Minnesotan right I don't doubt that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't doubt that. No, I don't doubt that. Uh, <laughs> that's a bad accent. Ignore, ignore that's me. That's really I'm, bad. I'm drunk. Um, yes. He then proceeded to wordlessly drop his friends off at their houses before going home himself. Apparently, his friends did not see the creature, or you know, didn't admit to seeing it. At- which is very weird because in group situations, yeah. people are usually like, did you see that? And they're like, yeah, man, I saw that too. That was crazy. Exactly. So I really don't know what is going on here. So, okay, we're just going to skip over that little misleading detail. Mm-hmm. His father saw him come in just obviously visibly upset and... At this point, Bartlett told him everything that happened and even sketched the creature, which brings me to the very first image. It should say Dover Demon Bartlett. This is the image that he drew for his father. So, yeah, that's the last picture I saw. That's um, yeah. that's what made me think of the creature from Merlin. Yes, it is very, in my opinion, alien-like. Yes, extremely. I think it's interesting that um, longer bottom part of the face. That's just very interesting. Yes. Um, Okay, so on to the second sighting. It happened actually the exact same day, only a few hours later, around midnight. By somebody different? By someone different. That's important. That's definitely important. Yes. Yes, um, by a 15-year-old named John Baxter. He left his girlfriend's house, which was located at the south end of Miller High Road. Mm -hmm. I guess he lived kind of close because he decided to walk home. Okay, yeah, I could see that. Especially if he was, like, 15 and their driving age is, like, 16. Yeah, well, he was apparently walking for 30 minutes and, you know, as at a normal human speed, this is about a mile. Yeah, because yeah. that's what I walk in about 30 minutes. At this point, he saw someone approaching him. The figure was short, so 
he automatically thought that this was a friend of his named M.G. Bouchard, who lived, coincidentally, on that street. As most of us do, if we see a friend, he calls out to the figure. But when no response was given, he just kind of continued walking toward, you know, towards the figure until it stopped dead in its tracks. I don't know. If it doesn't respond to me and I'm calling out to it, I'm, I'm a little freaked out. I gotta admit First of all, I wouldn't even, if I didn't 100%, if I saw you, specifically you, on a street and we were a bit of a distance away, I wouldn't call out to you. I'd wait till we get, got at least like 10, 15 feet because there's the, if there's the slightest chance that if it's not you, if I'm not face to face with you and I don't know it's you, I will not say shit. And then later okay. on, you will message me and be like, hey, you didn't say anything to me when you walked by me. I'll be like, yeah, because I wasn't sure it was actually going to be you. It is the whole thing. Do you know how many times I've had someone say, say to me, hey, why didn't you talk to me the other day? I'd be like, exactly. I wasn't sure if it was exactly. you. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But anyway, when the figure stopped, Baxter also stopped. However, at this point, he realized this wasn't his friend. (laughs) (laughs) He then called out to it in the stereotypical horror movie fashion. Hello? Who is that? Who are you? No, not hello. (laughs) Who is that? Who 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 are you? Why are you here? No. (laughs) So, because the sky was so dark at the time, it was midnight, you know, no moon, yada yada, clouds, whatever. He had a hard time trying to identify who the figure was. I'm sorry, that would freak me out if I had to walk home at midnight from somebody's house. Although, so I did used to go on late night walks with this girl that I lived next, like, nearby. Uh, We were Mm -hmm. kind of friends for a little while in high school, but, like... Even then, Even then. Yeah. When he took another step closer to the figure to get a better look... The figure darted to the left and ran down a wooded gully, then back up the other side. No, thank you. And this kid, look, this kid is either brave, stupid, or high. No. Because he followed No! 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 (laughs) I'm sorry. It is dark. It is midnight. Go home. Go home. You know, thank God he stopped at the bottom of the slope. And then he looked into the gully, the gully, the gully, <laughs> where he was finally able to see the creature's silhouette. So at this point, he was about 30 feet away from it and noted that it had its feet molded around the top of a rock several feet away from a tree. He claimed it had the body of a monkey, except for its dark figure eight shaped head. Mm-hmm. I wish people could see my face. I wish people could yes. see my face. That's, that's yes. bonkers. No. Its eyes were two lighter spots in the middle of its head, and was and this creature was staring him down. So, no. fearing, fearing what the creature might do next, John backed slowly up the hill and then walked very fast down the road to the intersection at... Farm Street. Okay. Which, if you remember, is where Bartlett saw the creature. Yes! Okay, yeah. See, yes. I was wondering how the two, like, 
I mean, I know it's in the, mm-hmm. like similar areas. I just didn't know how close they actually were. Yes. By the way, it's the passion fruit and lime. Pretty color. Mm-hmm. I like that color. Yeah. So at which point a couple who was driving by picked him up, dropped him off at home. He too drew a picture of the creature, which I'm going to show you in just a second when I pull it up. I think it's very interesting that they both drew pictures of the characters. I mean, logically, they couldn't take pictures. Duh. Well, but I think it's very interesting that they both decided that it was important enough for them to draw pictures. Because if it was me, I would have been like, that shit was crazy. I'm going to bed. Well, and you'll see a little bit later as to why. So... Yeah, I see. You see... Pretty much the same shape, yeah. Yeah, exact same shape, same fingers, same arms, same head shape, which is very prominent. (laughs) I like that it's labeled. Um, (laughs) Eyes glow faintly. Hands grab... What does that say? What does that say? Hands (laughs) grab something tree? Hands grab tree, yes. Um, I mean... (laughs) gotta label your scientific study um look you really do so okay the third sighting was very brief but a sighting nonetheless Mm -hmm. on april 27th 1977 was just with just you know less than a day after the two previous sightings 15 year old abby brabham was being driven home by will tranter the two saw a creature, and in their description, it was about the size of a goat, okay. which I have goats, so this is actually a relatively short creature. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was just kind of huddled on the side of a side of the road. Okay. Okay. Both of their descriptions of the creature were very similar to the description given by Baxter and Bartlett, except. Bardham, the 15-year-old, you know, girl, Mm. insisted that the creature had glowing green eyes. As opposed to the peach. Yeah, rather than the peach or the orange orange glowing eyes. Yes. At this point, investigations were being held and it was gaining national attention in the newspaper. The name Dover Demon was actually given by case investigator Lauren Coleman... I'm confused on the Dover part. Did I miss that? (laughs) It takes place in Dover, Massachusetts. Yes, duh, duh. Okay, sorry. Um, I forgot that part. So, so of course, newspapers just kind of took this name and ran with it. The description that these teenagers came up with are all very similar to a creature known as the Menegishi, who are small river bank dwelling water spirits which explains why they're so short mm-hmm, that are part of the cree indian mythology of eastern canada okay they are described as being small human-like entities that resemble little men with long thin legs and arms Oh, wait, I never showed you the other girl's picture. Oh, yeah, there was the other girl's picture. Yeah, there was there was another picture. And it's not as similar, but it's pretty close. So, let me just... Right here. And here, 
you see green eyes, a little lighter tan, tannish color. Um, this is where yeah, she saw yeah. that it was kind of crap. That's the one I said looked like a uh, wiener dog with a weird head. <laughs> yes, it does, in fact, yeah. Um, okay, where was I? Okay, they're described as being a small human-like entity that resembles little men with long, thin legs and arms. They have six fingers on one hand. Actually, on each hand, but, you know, one hand. Sorry, the only thing that went uh, through my mind just now is Niego Montoya. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my name is Niego Montoya. You killed my father. Killed prepare, my father. To prepare to die. Yes. one Julio Ricardo Montoya de Laura Ramirez. Sorry. Go. They have round hairless heads, large eyes, and no nose or mouth, which, if you remember, is very very similar to this creature. Yeah. They are also known to live among rocks near water rapids and are said to be tricksters who enjoy playing pranks on humans. Loki? (laughs) I like how everything goes back to Loki for you, and I'm like... Yeah, it's like the fairy folk that, you know. I mean, it really is. They are typically very benign creatures, but will tip over the occasional canoe or... (laughs) (laughs) How country are you? (laughs) Cow. Um. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (sighs) <sighs> but will tip over the occasional canoe or still things if they are not shown, you know, proper respect. Yeah, so that sounds like brownies. But, like, yes. different. A lot, a lot of different. Oh, oh, yeah, a lot of different. According to some legends, they are only seen by children and medicine people. Okay. Which, you know, kind of makes sense because these are all, you know, teenage range, mm-hmm. under 18... Yeah, yeah, technically yeah, yeah. still children. Although they can appear to anyone. They actually will even help humans rather than prank them if you give them tobacco or other gifts. That's funny. That's like some um some of the things that I've done, like the um Chenekes, they if you give them tobacco, that's one of the things that Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is just one great big circle. All these cryptids just at, at they mesh certain together. points, they really do mesh together they after really time. They really do, yes. Um, okay, so there are a couple of, of explanations as to what the Dover Demon could be. Alien. First and foremost, this could just be a hoax thought up by a bunch of teenagers. Which, while it is possible, the three sightings were by three teenagers who didn't did know, each other. know each other. Yeah, yes, like that's my favorite. Nothing. Um, the second is that this is an escaped lab monkey. <laughs> Was there even a lab there? <laughs> Which, <laughs> well, while it's likely none had been reported, lost, or escaped. Okay. Okay. So, the third theory is that And honestly, is- look, and monkeys, especially like that, kind of expensive. Very So, expensive. when you have them in your study- Especially, like- 
lab monkeys. Yeah, you and really don't want to lose exactly, them. especially if you have any sort of like yeah. thing going on with them. Like especially if you're testing any sort yeah. of drugs, not good. Yeah. yeah. So third theory is it's a newborn horse or even a yearling moose. So um okay. Um, Okay, but this is the most popular theory, and I'm going to show you why. Okay, but it doesn't explain the, you know? No, it really doesn't, um, but I'm going to show you real fast. For everybody who's listening, um, I am making jazz hands to um, <laughs> signify the very long fingers and toes that these things seem to have. No, it does not explain the extra long appendages. I think it's so interesting that I've never heard of this before. Right? And it's something that I have definitely heard of, so I'm like... Really? <sighs> yes! Oh, here it is. Okay. I I've just Go never on. heard of it before. Click. That's... Okay, so using this image this is where they say it looks like a yearling moose oh that i could see because you can see right there it looks like they're like hooves almost yes yeah. these are the hooves you know this is the watermelon shaped head and it's like um, if they just got like a, a split second look at it that might explain they might yeah. just think that they're like longer fingers and that they can only see yeah. like two or so but that and the eyes sense. would definitely reflect the light yes. as most do. And the shape you know, of the head. To this. Yes. And the shape yes. of, head w- of the head would definitely make sense. I just don't. Yes. So, I, I just, mean, the just standing up the part. That's the part that I just like. Well, if you think about like a horse rearing back. Yeah, that's true. If it's afraid, then, you know, it, it's possible. I, but the things I feel like are. This is a more rural area, right? It really so I feel is, like they would know yeah. what a horse or a moose looks like. But it is pitch black. Okay, yeah, true. true. So, yeah. So, the fourth theory, which I just... And, you know, it still would explain the know. eyes. Because the reflection it, of yeah, light for really animals has a yes. lot of variety of colors. So It really does. And we encountered this with the Mothman mm-hmm. episode. So, it's one of those things you got to be careful. Um, fourth theory... A mer-being. A Which, a mer-being. Which, honestly, it doesn't, ma- it doesn't make sense because it was in the road. Yeah, the where's the water? Not anywhere close to a stream of water. So, yeah. I'm confused. Um, Who thought of this? Look, I had the guy's name and then I just deleted it. So, it just, it doesn't matter, but a mer-being. Okay, okay. That's a very um, interesting theory, albeit a, um not although none of them are particularly practical that one's the least practical of all of them and then probably the most practical is like you said aliens aliens many people think of this creature and tend to think of the typical alien gray yes yeah yeah which yeah you know the figure eight shaped head the you know the gray files skin, yeah. the big eyes yes no particular mouth nose kind of hidden by all the skin mm-hmm. yes giant Option, heads that literally but, would not be supported by the rest of the body because their spine would literally break because their head is so fucking huge yeah they'll just <laughs> literally <laughs> um 
Okay, so another theory that I know has crossed several people's minds because it also crossed mine is that the Dover Demon is super similar to the creepypasta known as the Rake. Oh! Which that's why you asked why me about I this. kept texting you. Yeah. Yes. So the one difference between the Rake and the Demon is that... Yeah, some of you might remember the Rake from the Slenderman episode where I briefly, very extremely briefly mentioned the creepypasta. Briefly, yeah. And which we will go into further detail later because I would really like to cover it. Of course, yeah. But the rake is a really unusually tall creature, averaging about six feet tall, which is nearly double the height of the um, Dover demon. Yeah. So. (laughs) It'd be like a a rake baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But other than this, it's super similar in the fact that it is a thin, hairless, pale, humanoid creature who crouches or crawls on all fours. The Reich is commonly seen with large, glowing eyes and seemingly no nose or mouth. So... Yeah, and so... Just super similar. The only thing that I really want to point out is... The rake we know is not real. Yes. Because we can trace it back to a 4chan post where people literally wanted to make a new scary creature. However, I think it's very interesting the one that they chose is something that's so prevalent in my mind as something that I genuinely envisioned as a child. Like everyone has pictured this at yes. some point in their childhood be it imaginary or be it, them actually it's see it, some God forbid. weird version of the of like the silence from doctor who and also the gentleman from buffy the vampire slayer i don't know if you've ever watched that episode <laughs> slenderman. And, and slenderman it's like it's a mixture of those three creatures which is kind of terrifying terrifying but also very naked i'm pretty sure it's naked (laughs) (laughs) it is yes it is very naked (laughs) anyway go on with your story i'm sorry (laughs) no that i mean that was literally the end of my story where i was just making the connection where i personally related this to something as terrifying as the right Mm -hmm. and that is my creature that is my creature that's your creature that's my story Okay, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Myths and Misfortunes, or Twitter at Myths Misfortunes. Or you can just search for us using the full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to MythsAndMisfortunes at gmail.com. And we have a Patreon. Our username is Myths and Misfortunes. We're not quite live yet. But you should be able to send us donations soon if you choose to. Please do. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. And please, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. It's not necessary, but we would love you. And it is... I mean, super, 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 super appreciated. Yes, especially on iTunes. Especially on iTunes. Appreciated. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. Thanks so much for listening, Thank guys. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.